0: And hey, grab your Bible, get with me to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus is just a second book into the Bible if you're newer to navigating the Bible. And if you need uh, need a Bible, there's one in a seat back right near you, but get a copy of God's word in front of you. And as you settle in there, I, um, I want you to imagine you're, you're talking to someone about the Lord, you're witnessing to them, you're telling them that there's this, there's this creator God who made them, who loves them, that sin has separated them from a holy God, and you're telling them about Jesus, and then uh, as you pause in the conversation, they begin to talk, and they say, well, how do you know your God is the right God? How do you know your God's the real God? I mean, people worship gods all over the face of the earth. You, you know, you seem pretty convictional and pretty convinced, but how do, you, how do you know your God is the one true God? And now, maybe for you, that's not even a, a philosophical question of a conversation with someone else. Maybe some of you walked in here today, and you're like, yeah, how do you know? I mean, I'm, I'm up today, and I've, I've sung songs of worship I'm here to to listen to uh, this authoritative book of God that Christians call the Bible but how do we know our God is the one true God that's a valid question is it not Now, there's all sorts of apologetic answers you can give to that. You can point to uh, proof from creation and God's general revelation. You can uh, go to the scriptures and and show through the scriptures and God's specific revelation how he is declaring himself the one true God. But what I love about today's passage is we're about to see God's divine intervention and powerful action to declare himself as the one true God. Now, but before I, before I zero in here on Exodus 7 and the chapters to follow, I, I just want to zoom out on our series through the book of Exodus as a whole because I don't want us to forget kind of the way the book of Exodus is structured. Um, Exodus really has two pretty clear parts to them. And in chapters 1 through 18, you have this, this event of the Exodus. This, the word Exodus means going out uh, the, the Lord, through Moses, is leading his people out of their bondage in Egypt, and he's leading them toward a land he has promised to them, a land that is called a land flowing with milk and honey. But then as you get to the second part of the book of Exodus, and we'll be there in chapter 19, you have the details of this covenant that he's making with his people, because all through the book, you're going you're to hear this repeated. Let my people go, the Exodus, so that they may worship me. And this covenant is God laying out how he is to be worshipped as their God as they live with him as his people. Uh, but but we are still in the, the thick of this exodus event, the, this going out. And last week we saw that Moses and Aaron have obeyed finally. And they've gone to Pharaoh and they said, let my people go. And Pharaoh's initial response was, who is the Lord? I don't know this God. And the answer is, no, I won't let this people go. And you see how Moses and Aaron's obedience has led to a costliness and even greater hardship and harshness from Pharaoh towards the people of Israel. Now, God, remember Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord? God is going to answer that today. And, and in fact, I want us to look at Exodus, the beginning of Exodus chapter 7, which I believe sets up this whole scene we're about to journey through today. Exodus 7 verse 1. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. There's that phrase again. We'll come back to that in this message. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt. There's a repeated phrase we've seen. I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. By by what's it say? What's your Bible say? By what? By great acts of judgment. And I'm going to walk us through these great acts of judgment here the rest of this morning. By great acts of judgment. The Egyptians, verse 5, don't miss this because this is the repeated theme of all of these plagues or great acts of judgment we're about to walk through today. This is the theme, verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. And so um, you're going to see the Lord now stretch out his hand. Remember, God has said, Pharaoh's not going to let you go unless a mighty hand stretches out and compels him. We're going to see God stretch out his hand. But what we can't miss as we get into each of these plagues is that these aren't, just, these aren't just random things God is doing. God is showing himself what he says in verse 5, that he is the Lord. And so I want us walking out of here today knowing something, not just with our heads, but deep in our hearts, that the God we worship is the God of all. He is God of all creation. He is Lord over all. Isaiah 45, verse 5 summarizes where we're going today really well. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. That's what we're going, and that's what we're going to see in the plagues here today. And so here's how, I, here's how I've structured today, okay? You ready for this? It's a holiday weekend, so I got, us a little, I got us a little workout through the word here, okay? I'm going through four chapters today. You heard that right. Four chapters. Four You think I can do it? I want to look at the first nine plagues all together. And then we're leaving the 10th plague for next week. We're keeping that all to itself because the 10th plague and the events that surround it have such redemptive reverberations all the way to Christ. We need to look at that alone. But why I want to keep the first nine plagues all together is because there's one resounding theme in all of them that God just keeps saying, I am the Lord and there is no other. I'm doing this so that you'll know I am the Lord. I'm doing this so that you'll know I am the Lord. And often, especially maybe when we were kids and we studied the plagues, often we can kind of not, not bring a full connection to what exactly God is doing when he brings these specific plagues. He is showing himself greater than Pharaoh, but he's also showing himself greater than the gods the Egyptians worshipped. And God is going to say and show us, I am the Lord and there is no other. And so I want to walk, walk through these nine plagues. At the end, I want to pull out three things for us as kind of modern-day American followers of Jesus, what this means for us. But let's pray and ask for God's help to get through four chapters. Ready? God, help us. We don't want to fly through your word. We want to feast on your word. And so, God, will you slow our hearts down? As we make our way through it. Because Lord, we declare what your word says about itself. It's living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, you have food for our souls. And what we're about to study right now. We pray and ask for help in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we get to these plagues, we first see this miraculous sign that God gave to Moses to do. Look at Exodus 7 verse 8. Then Pharaoh, and and notice this now, then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. And so if you can imagine this moment, right, that Aaron casts this staff down, it turns into a serpent, and Moses calls in, who is described as the magician, sorcerers, and they cast staffs down, and those turn into serpents. But I love this detail that God adds here. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. And so Moses and Aaron do the miraculous sign that God gave them to do to show that this, what, what they're saying is of the Lord. Now the Lord is going to inflict these plagues or these judgments But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, here it is, by this you shall know that what? What is, what, how, what will what's he going to know? By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die and the Nile will stink and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone." Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians, notice this, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So if, we, if you can even imagine that. That this mighty river that really gave Egypt all of its identity, this mighty river is turned to blood. It's not, the Bible doesn't say it just turned red like blood. It says it turned to blood. And that affects all the rivers and the canals and all the pools of water. Right down to the water that it says is in wood containers and in in earthen or stone vessels. All of that is turned to blood. It leads to all the fish to die, and it leads to the land to stink of dead fish. And yet, in each of these plagues, and I want you to see the form in this first plague, because this form is really carried through through all of these plagues. And, and, and let me give you this table. When you walked in, you probably got this handout. I hope you got this handout, because this is going to help us digest everything we're seeing in these plagues. But you see in this plague, the Lord declare, I am the Lord. You see it there in verse 17. You see the magicians or the sorcerers who Pharaoh calls in. And with this first plague, plague they can counterfeit it. God does a miraculous work. And the sorcerers, it says in the Bible, by their secret arts come in and counterfeit this work. And yet. I want us to understand something that I said at the outset. This isn't just about glory over Pharaoh. This is about glory over Pharaoh and glory over all of the fake gods of Egypt. The Nile for the Egyptians was literally everything. Tony Merida uh, says it like this. He says, essentially, there is no Egypt without the Nile. It was responsible for transportation, irrigation, drinking water, food, and the setting of the calendar. This type of catastrophe would be similar to cutting off all oil supplies, the stock market collapsing, drinking water being contaminated, and having no food in the grocery store. That's helpful, isn't it? This is the level of chaos that God inflicts with this plague. Because the Nile was thought of as the life source by the Egyptians, they had all of these gods related to the Nile. Uh, God, God's, uh, God's like um, um, Osiris. God's like new. God's like happy. They worship these gods as the source of life. What God does in one moment by turning their life source into blood is declaring, "I am the God of life. I am your life source, not these fake gods that you worship." But we see even when the water sources turn to blood. Pharaoh's heart remains hard, and God moves forward with plagues. Chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. How many of you are like, that's a nightmare? The Nile shall swarm with frogs that will come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the pools and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So just look at this picture and just imagine this. Frogs everywhere, on your beds, in your houses, in your ovens, in your cooking bowls, everywhere. Verse 8. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people. Do you think? And I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people, that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. Verse 10. And he said, Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. There it is again. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. Piles of dead frogs everywhere, and the stench of dead frogs filling the land. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Let's unpack this here. Plague of frogs. God declares yet again, my purpose for this is to show that I am the Lord. We see that declared in chapter 8, verse 10. The magicians come along. They can counterfeit this. They can replicate this. But remember, these, what God, these plagues God is bringing, they're not just random. It's not as if, you know, when I was a kid and I'd read this story, I'm like, was God just up there kind of like, what's the creepiest thing I can do? No, these have a purpose. The Egyptian god, Heket, uh, you see him in a picture here in this carving all the way to the right. The the god with the frog head. He was uh, the god of fertility or the goddess of fertility, the the giver of life. God comes in with this plague and makes their, their frog god go haywire. And he declares that your frog God is not the giver of life. I am the giver of life. I supersede your frog God. I am God over life. And the God who's the giver of life. Now we see something different from Pharaoh in this. He requests respite. He says, Moses and Aaron, take these frogs away. Get these frogs out of here and I will let you go. But what does he do as soon as the frogs are actually out of the land? What's he do? His heart is hardened and he does not let the people go. I I just want to remind us as we look at that, a repentance that turns back to our sin after respite is no repentance at all. A repentance... God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so. Just take these away. Take these consequences. Take, make it all better. When that is all away and the respite has come, when we turn back to sin, that's no real repentance at all. And you see that again and again and again with Pharaoh. So his heart is hardened. And on he goes. Third plague, gnats. Chapter 8, verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. so that it it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians, what's it say? What's your Bible say? The magicians what? They tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. They could not. Then the, uh, they could not. So there, were, uh, so there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Can you imagine being covered in gnats? How many of you think gnats are the most annoying thing in the world, Right? How many of you try all the tricks that you can, right? I've heard gnats always go to the highest point. Anyone else ever hear this? Everyone in first service is like, what are you talking about? So if you ever drive by and see me outside walking by my house like this, because gnats, I want them at the highest point, okay, get out of my face. Gnats everywhere, covering the people, covering the beasts. Now, the most important aspect or one of the most important aspects of this plague here is what it says, that the magicians come and they can't. They can't replicate this. Now, now I want you to understand, as these plagues intensify, the magicians are going to uh, they're gonna keep trying to stay toe-to-toe with God, but they can't, and they will eventually disappear in the plagues. As I was studying this this week, I need your help. You're, you're the lucky guy. Come here. As I was studying this week, as you watch this interaction with the magicians, the Lord knows. He starts with a plague that he knows they can replicate. He goes to a second plague that he knows he, they can replicate. But as he comes to a third plague, do you, a, do you remember playing the game mercy as a kid? You know what I'm talking about? First service, I picked like the biggest dude in the room. It's like God begins to exercise his power on the secret arts and the dark powers of Egypt, and God just begins to bring them to their knees in this cosmic game of mercy. Okay, so you ready? One, two, three. I'm just kidding, man. (laughs) Thank you. But what we see here, the secret powers, the dark powers of Egypt, they can't hang with our God. The first plague, toe-to-toe, second plague, toe-to-toe, third plague, they can't do it. And they even say to Pharaoh, the, uh, we can't do this. This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh still hardens his heart. And so God intensifies. Fourth plague flies. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 20, Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen, and the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. If you ever pull into our driveway, when you you pull into our driveway and you park your car in front of our garage, if you look right to your right, you'll see right into our kitchen windows. If you ever pull in and you look in our kitchen windows and you see my wife with a dish towel and just swinging that thing like crazy, that means there's a fly in the house, okay? She hates flies in the house. And so the other night, I'm sitting in the living room, and I hear shattered glass out of the kitchen. And so I run, and I'm like, what is going on? And I go into the pantry, and there's my beautiful wife standing with a dish towel and a broken pantry window right there. I said, baby, tell me you at least got the fly. She's like, I didn't. Girl hates flies in the house. Can you imagine a blackout cloud of flies descending on the land, flies covering the ground? Verse 25 Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. Now he's deal making. You can't leave the land, but I'll allow you to go sacrifice within the land. But Moses said, it would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abom- abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, they will, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I'll let you go. To the sacrifice of the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. plead for me. Then Moses said, "Behold, I'm going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from His servants and from His people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh. From his servants and from his people, not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. And so, in this plague of flies, you see the Lord declare again, verse 22 I'm doing this that you may know I am the Lord. The magicians are not even mentioned in this plague, they cannot hang with our God. But now, remember, these aren't just random plagues. The Egyptians worshipped a god named Keeper Keeper. He was a god with a beetle or a fly head, and he was the god. Uh, he was thought to be the god of recreation or the god of resurrection. And again, the Lord is showing Himself mighty that He truly is the god of resurrection power. He truly is the god of recreating power, not their fly god Keeper. But Pharaoh's response here is to try to deal make. To request respite. But as soon as respite is given, his heart is hardened and more plagues are needed. Chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. The Egyptians' livestock, their flocks, their herds completely wiped out. Piles of carcasses across the land, representing their economy, representing their livelihoods. All of it the Lord had judged. Now, as the Lord brings this plague upon the land, we have to understand that in Egypt, there were literally numerous sacred cows that were worshipped. Quite literally, sacred cows. And we understand this because later on in the book of Exodus, when the Israelites leave the land and they're at the base of Mount Sinai and Moses is up meeting with the Lord and they're like, where did Moses go? Will he ever come back down? And they craft for themselves an idol to worship. They make that idol in the form of what? A golden, a golden calf. So God, again, is going after these sacred cows quite literally in the land of Egypt. And oh, by the way, God will go after our sacred cows as well to show himself over and above as the one true God. So the livestock have been afflicted. Now the people's own bodies are about to be afflicted. Chapter 9, verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, And let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out on sores on man and beast. And the magicians, here they're mentioned again, and the magicians could not stand Before Moses, because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. And so can you imagine this? Bodies covered in boils, covered in sores, and the Pharaoh, the people are afflicted by this and Pharaoh's heart remains hard and he still will not let people, the people go. God attacking the Egyptians, gods of healing. The gods who are to oversee the protections of their bodies. And the Lord is directly going after this. The magicians can't even stand before Moses now. In this cosmic game of mercy, the Lord is bringing them low and bringing them to their knees. And the Lord goes on. Seventh plague. Hail, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, And say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants and your people. So that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Why is God doing these plagues? So that they may know there is none like him in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence. And you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, here we go. Remember that phrase that we've seen, that God is hardening Pharaoh's heart? We're beginning to get some answers as to why God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. Verse 16, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field that is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the fields. And so this hail rains down. And it goes on to say that the hail wipes out all the crops. That the hail wipes out the trees. Hail so strong it's taking out trees. And everything that is budding and everything that is growing is destroyed. And you see this in this plague, but one of the things you see in this plague is three times God reminds, I'm doing this so that you will know I am the Lord. I've raised you up so that you will know I am the Lord. As Pharaoh responds later on, he says, I'm, I'm doing this so that you will know I am the Lord. And the Lord is going after the gods of the elements. They had gods for rain and gods for hail and gods for thunder and gods for lightning. And the Lord is going after all of those and he's laying all of those low. And as you see Moses' response here, and Moses' response begins in verse 27. He's requesting respite. He's, he goes on to say, uh, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. And you think, Moses is being laid low. Mo, or, sorry, Pharaoh's being laid low. And Pharaoh is repenting, but it's fake and it's phony. And as soon as respite comes, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he will not let the people go. The eighth plague, beginning of chapter 10. Locus. then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. Why, Lord, why have you hardened his heart? That I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. That you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, "'Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, "'How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? "'Let my people go that they may serve me. "'For if you refuse to let my people go, "'behold, tomorrow I'll bring locusts into your country.'" And they shall cover the face of the land, so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail. And they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Chapter 10 goes on to say, and the locusts came into the land. And the locust ate everything that was left from the hail destruction. The, the locust eat Egypt bare. And Pharaoh, once again, he comes in and he requests respite. He begins to try to make a deal. I'll let you go under this account. Just send the men to go sacrifice. Don't bring your families. And Moses says, no, that's not the deal. All of us must go. Again, you see in the, the, the plague of the locust. in verse 2, the Lord's declaring, I am the Lord. There is no other. You see him showing his power over the gods of Egypt, over the field, and over the crops. But Pharaoh's heart still remains hardened. And the ninth plague before the final devastating plague to the Egyptians. But the ninth plague you see in chapter 10, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness to be felt. Have you ever felt darkness? So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Can you imagine that? So just, just go dark in here. This won't be pitch darkness. But just with the darkness all around us, if you can imagine what the scriptures say about this, that for three whole days there is pitch darkness over the entire land. It says a darkness to be felt. The kind of darkness, if you've ever experienced it, where you could put your hand a centimeter in front of your face and you can't see a thing for three days, how disorienting would that be? And let's go to that table there. As God does this, He is going after one of the highest gods worshiped in Egypt of its day, and that is the sun god, Amon Ra. And for three days, the Lord wipes the sun, wipes the light away from the Egyptians, declaring that he is God and there is no other. There is no sun God above him. He is the God who made the sun. And in all of these, God is setting up the 10th and final plague that we will see next week. A plague which will bring a community defining act of God to the people of Israel. A plague that will lead to events that have redemptive reverberations all the way to the cross. And we look at that plague all by itself next week. But before you walk out of here today, a ton of information about the plagues that hit ancient Egypt. But what in the world does this have to do with us who are sitting here in America in 2022? Let me remind us of the big idea that we've seen again and again throughout this. And Isaiah 45 says it so well. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. God again and again declares this to his people. So how does this come to bear on our life sitting here today? The first thing I would hope we take from this is this. Embrace God's demolishing of your fake gods. That we would walk out of here embracing God's demolishing of our fake gods gods we may not follow gods with frog heads and fly heads but I don't need to remind us because I think we all know that in our culture and in our day and in our heart there are idols that arise that are just as foolish as gods with frog heads and fly heads and God in his goodness because he loves us he will seek to root those idols out of our heart and sometimes in painful ways if we've made an idol of money or of stuff, God in his goodness at times will come in and remove some of that so we feel the folly of making those things God. If we've made an idol out of status or, 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 or significance, or God will sometimes come in and allow those things to be removed out of our life so, we are, so our heart is laid bare and we see how foolish it is and that he alone is God and so this week, God may go after some of those idols. And we, I, my prayer for us is that we would embrace that, no matter how painful that could feel. So that when God reveals an idol in our heart, and when he reveals that that idol cannot stand beneath him, that our hearts will be reoriented to him as the one true God. What else do we take from this? The second thing I hope is we walk out of here... Humble yourself to not stand in opposition to God. I want us to see in these plagues the glory war between God and Pharaoh. First, I want us to see God's mercy. Sometimes people who, sometimes people can read the plagues and think, what is God doing? What? Is that just some cat-and-mouse game God's doing with Pharaoh? Why all all of these plagues? I want us to see that God is merciful in giving Pharaoh chance after chance after chance after chance and, and slowly intensifying these plagues. But I also want us to see God's power in these. And that he will not allow Pharaoh to stand in opposition to him. And I just look at us today just as a loving reminder to say this. It's an awful thing to find ourselves opposing a holy God. And I remind us of the good news of the gospel. That thanks be to God that Jesus Christ has come and shed his blood to take enemies of God. And turn them into sons and daughters of the most high God through faith. That the moment we believe in Jesus, we are now in Christ. No longer enemies and opponents of a holy God, but made holy through the righteousness of Jesus Christ and invited into his family. My prayer for any in here who have not believed that good news message from God that today you would believe and receive Jesus Christ. And then the third and final thing, I just hope we walk out of here from these plagues is this. Trust that God raises up whomever he wills, however he wills, to display his glory. Let me read that again. Trust that God raises up whomever he wills, however he wills, to display his glory. With that third one, I'm getting at this phrase you see repeated through the first chapters of Exodus, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Does anyone have questions about that phrase? So I'm reading the, the plague stories to uh, my oldest son at the time he was five. And we're reading all these plagues out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. And uh, we put the book away and we pray and I tuck him into bed. And he says, Daddy? I said, yeah, buddy. He said, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? It's a big question from a five-year-old, isn't it? It's a big question for a 55-year-old in a room, right? And yet we are told twice in what we read today. The first time in chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. For this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. At the beginning of chapter 10, we're told, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, I've hardened his heart, the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I've done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Romans chapter 9 gives commentary on this very thing. It says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? The scriptures tell us to show his signs and for his own glory. And if right now you're like, I got more questions. I don't know if I like that. I would tell you, ask the questions. Wrestle deeply. But at the end of the day, Romans chapter 9 tells us God raises up and shows his mercy on those he raises up and shows his mercy for his glory. And God raises up and has hardened Pharaoh here to show his power and to reveal his glory in the earth. I don't know if I like that. I, I love you. It doesn't matter. God is God and we are not. And you're like, no, that that seems like a kappa. I'm telling you, be a good student of the Bible. Dig into that deeply. Why does God harden fair heart? Dig. I'm not telling you to avoid it. I'm not telling you to do a roundabout. Or dig into it deeply. But the more I study the book of Exodus, the more I study other passages like this throughout the scriptures, I just come to this place of deep rest in a sovereign and good God who is working all things to his glory, even if my little finite brain can understand it or not. Why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? To show these wonderful signs of his power for his glory. And that's enough for me. And may it be enough for us. Church, if you would stand to your feet. Isaiah 45:5. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I know I took us on a marathon today. But I wanted us to see again and again, I'm doing this that you may know I am the Lord. I'm doing this that you may know I am the Lord. He tells us today, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. You say that with me just as we close. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Let's sing worship to that God together.